Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage of the French Open begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to Historically Badass Broads, the podcast. The that's, podcast. That's that's what we're doing here. That's what we're here to mm. do. Mm-hmm. I'm Chloe. And I'm Maura. And, and we are uh... your hosts this evening. No. <laughs> no. They nope. could be listening in the evening. We don't know. You're right. Oh, that's true. You listen whenever you want. We're not, not one a... of those, like, a true crime podcast that you can't listen to after a certain time so you don't freak yourself out (laughs) you know i wish i i wish i had the ability to listen to something during the day and then not be freaked out by it later that night that sounds nice i i was gonna say that yeah i guess at some point it comes right back if it's it's right if it's so prescient because it was just there Mm. you know then it's like oh that that isn't a sweater it is a man in my room got it always um always Always. Always. Yep. <laughs> it is now that I have a, a dog. Well, I've had him now for a while, but sometimes I'll wake up in the night and the light like hits him really weirdly from like outside or whatever. And he has those weird oh, eyes that I Absolutely get. not. Absolutely and I like woke up not. once and he was sleeping with his eyes open. And I was no. just like, no. Sorry. I literally woke him up and I was like, close nope. your eyes. I'm not having this. <laughs> We're not dealing with this, but the soul of a demon just peeking through. <laughs> oh, his peeks through a lot more than we'd like, but there you go. <laughs> Speaking of demons, <laughs> Roe v. Wade. About... <laughs> I was just talking about men in general. Oh, okay. I was yeah. making an easy transition for you. An easy transition to a difficult topic. Well, I don't, think don't we love to do it's that? It's not without saying that we're aggressively pro-choice on this podcast. This uh, does happen to be a feminist women's podcast. history podcast. And if I may, um, mm. everyone just needs to fuck off. It's not anyone's business. I that will be the clicking the explicit button. Sorry, when I'm editing later. <laughs> we are <sighs> one minute in. <laughs> <laughs> But we were talking about something. I, I knew you would curse if we talked about this, though. So I know it's, uh, it's not I've been fired up. I've been I've been aggressively fired up. I've been yeah. so fired up that at some point, mm. when I've been like screaming internally and talking a lot, my mm-hmm. mom and dad are just like we don't know how to help you. And I was like, all of your generation needs to not be in politics. That's how you can help me. Tell them to retire. Um, I hate to say it, but a lot of people in our generation. Oh, would, I know. know. That's not necessarily the the solution. But as I as we hey, there's a majority of people in this country who support a woman's right a woman's right to choose what to do with her own body, right. and I do believe in equality. Therefore, at this point, I believe every man should get a vasectomy. I do. I think mm. that's a good call. 
I think if men had to deal with any of the shit that we actually deal with, they'd be like, I don't want to. And then they wouldn't have to deal with it. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like if men that's, got periods. That's what happened with male birth control. I know. They, they got like, like headaches? One symptom. No, I don't, I don't want, want it. And so now they don't. And I'm like, what about the hair growth that some women get? Hmm? Hmm? I mean, the, acne, the list of the hormonal symptoms. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> some women have had have really horrific reactions. Strokes, even. Oh, yeah. Tons of strokes. Have you tons. have you seen the, the thing about um people? I mean, a lot of us, myself included, have been on birth control since like the age of 12 or 13. Yep. Same. And there are things about people going off it for like the first time in their adult lives oh, and being like, good. oh, I'm a different person. That's so bizarre that my entire personality <laughs> was changed by the fact that I've been on the same hormone controlling medication for, you know, more than 10 plus years. Life. Yeah. 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 I think about that. <laughs> who would <laughs> I be? <laughs> Ooh, who would you be? Maybe we'll I wouldn't have anxiety. <laughs> That'd be crazy. <laughs> oh my god! I know. Maybe there's a reason that our generation of women oh is like so anxious and depressed a lot of the time. I and actually, I love that for us. I really do. Thank you. So Thanks. the reason we are discussing Roe v. Wade, a hard not to on a feminist really, podcast. It's it's a lot of what I think about. It, it's uh, a big thing. Yeah, it's a big bad I, thing. Let's just let's just have a little brief moment as as historians amateur or otherwise sure if you go back to the supposed texts that these people are quoting or using in Mm. defense of their indefensible positions if you actually decided to read them as a person instead of just looking at the bit they chose to interpret for you you would notice that you might have a slightly different opinion about the meaning of those passages. And in fact, if you read any of the major religious texts, even though I am violently opposed to organized religion as a whole, um, you would notice that most of them don't mention abortion at all. Isn't that weird? It's weird. What's interesting Mm -hmm. is in Jewish faith, of which I technically am. Um, it's it's the actually mother's life a over the child commandment. Yeah. yeah, you are displeasing God if you mm-hmm. choose the child over the mother. Yeah, I say child to be nice. It's my a reconciliation. Embryo, fetus. I personally prefer the term fetus because it's fun to say. Um, so you know, let's just as historians, let's all take a moment and just think back. And when people use you know we won't go back women have from the beginning of time sought ways to control and end pregnancies because it affects everything about our lives from that moment forward it changes our body it changes our agency it changes everything about us and because we're not dicks we're not going to do horrible things to that kid unless you are unfortunately a bad person which there are many bad women but there are bad men you understand what i'm saying fascinating tiktok Look at me bringing up another TikTok. Hate to do it, it. Have to do it. Must do it. Will do it. Have I told you I've been like on it more? (laughs) Have I told you I've been on it less? (laughs) Has it been better for you? Because I don't think it's helping me. (laughs) I'm not opposed to TikTok. I've never been on like the unhealthy side of TikTok. That's good. Mine is a lot of like education, if that makes sense. 
Mine is too. And I also follow a bunch of farm accounts and those make me very happy. We'll discuss this more offline. I have okay. questions. <laughs> but the TikTok that I saw was of a woman who was the child of an unwanted pregnancy. Yeah. And she's like, I wasn't wanted. It was garbage. Is it that one? Yeah. And like, yeah, that's, it's, you know, Harrowing. She, has a, she has a perspective that a lot of people don't talk about, which is no. her parents didn't want to have her and were forced to have her. And she grew up feeling that and experiencing mm -hmm. that and being treated like she was, you know, not mm -hmm. wanted. And it's a very, Pretty very, horrible. very sad add it to the array of awful perspectives of, and outcomes yeah. of this decision the list Very goes on so. it's so depressing <laughs> it is and i think the thing that has always resonated with me is that we will we can never ban abortions we only ever ban safe ones and that is true right right that has always been true and it will always be true and it's not it, it does, you know, it goes without saying that all of these policies and implementations and, you know, affect women of color and mm -hmm. people of color and of disadvantaged backgrounds far more than mm -hmm. anyone else. Mm -hmm. And so for people who like are trying to tell us that it's because they're moral, I will repeat what most people have been saying, which is if you care about life so much, actually help people who are alive instead of doing yeah. everything else that they're doing. And no, I mean, it, it just it makes seems... me mad. I'm so Seems mad. Obvious, if you and are there are a lot of amazing community. people and women in history who have died from complications of birth, and you know how many of them have we talked about, or have been seriously ill because of how many kids they had to have, or you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like everything yeah. like that. And it's just like, can you imagine? Can you imagine, Chloe, if Eleanor of Aquitaine had birth control, what she would have done? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I I can only dream. You're I can girly. only dream for her. My girl. She wouldn't have had King John because she hated him. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you she wouldn't have done it. Ugh. And then they Crazy. wouldn't have the Magna Carta the way it is, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Do you know what's funny? If I may go off on a slight tangent once more. Please. Um, I love people who say that we should care about what the Founding Fathers say or wrote in a 300-year-old document. I have two things to say about that. One, the Magna Carta was written in 1215. I believe it was first edited about 23 years later or whatever. It was in, I think, 1236 or something. They edited the document right after that. Secondly, the founding fathers were dickwads who had slaves and used slave teeth that they pulled out of people's bodies to chew food. I don't care what they thought. I don't care. And I'm tired. I, also, the idea it. that society technology mm -hmm. i mean the the things that have changed in yeah. that amount of years the things that have oh, advanced the the way that we just like fundamentally live a different life mm -hmm. and at the time that they have to bit about <laughs> by a document that is so hopelessly outdated that the people who wrote it i mean if we actually followed and, what they and, and the people who say that by the way of a point of view from yeah. one type of person also we don't know what they would have thought now because they aren't living in these circumstances <laughs> these these times must have been, would be freaky for them <laughs> i imagine, them I imagine they'd be down. like i didn't fucking say that that's not what i wanted and they're like the founding fathers are like no i'm 
It's like I don't English think that's class where like yeah. everything gets misinterpreted. <laughs> oh my god, truly, I love it. I like the poet. I, he must have done this with the structure, and he was like, oh, no, I didn't think about that. This part was about how much they were in love, and that's represented through the figure of a rose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Shakespeare's like, what? Shakespeare's like, we were all like chatting and throwing food at each other during these performances. So like <laughs> none of this. Like you, you think this is high art? That's funny. <laughs> I like was Hamlet? Just laughing with me mates. Yeah, he's cracking up. <laughs> so I'm it's hard because you know it's interesting. The a woman the woman that we're gonna be talking about today, um her life is kind of summarized by lack of agency. Mm. And you know, she never actually became a mom, so I don't know what an impact that would have had on her, but it's very interesting. Well, I guess she kind of did. We'll get into it. But I guess what's really interesting to me is if she had had, I mean, basically things were decided for her and she was not in a position to do anything about it. Really, Mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. Like some people say, oh, she could have. And it's like, no, I don't, I don't think she could have, you know, if Mm -hmm. we look at the actual circumstances. And so it's not the first time we've lost our agency but it's hard because we felt like we were gaining some. Mm -hmm. So I think we feel every loss extra hard knowing about what all the women who've come before us fought for. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I do firmly believe we stand on the shoulders of our aunts and, and the people who have fought for us to do all these things, you know, women fought for the right for white Republican women to hate themselves. And, that's a choice, but they made that choice. They wanted women to have a choice. And that is what kills me because this lady would have destroyed everyone. If she had had choices, it would have been awesome. I'm tired of it. That's Roe v. Wade y'all. Let's, um, I, I recommend everyone, uh, read all of the shadow docket decisions that the Supreme court's coming out because you know, all of them are, pretty horrific and yes roe v wade's overshadowing the others rightfully so to a degree but they've also done a lot of other things to strip um other people's rights uh extremely in the last pretty much couple of days so i recommend being aware the more informed we are the more you know fodder we have to fight with and i Mm -hmm. i do firmly believe that that's not one of the reasons why i love this podcast but for me at least I love learning and I love that the more I know, the more we can prove people wrong. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, we're going to talk about an interesting lady today. Are you ready? I'm ready. Her name that I'm trying really hard to pronounce correctly is Lily Uokalani. She was the only queen regnant of Hawaii and she was the very last sovereign monarch of the Hawaiian kingdom. Hmm. And the reason I'm covering her this month is because my mom loves Hawaii <laughs> to quite an intense degree. Okay. It's beautiful. And it's her birthday this month. So in honor of my dear mommy. Happy, happy birthday. It's also Chloe's birthday this month. Um, Who? Yours, isn't it? Who? <laughs> Chloe. Yes, it is. It is. It is. Yay. Birthday. Um, so in honor of Kath. We are doing a Hawaiian woman today. Yeah. Someone that my mom likes a lot. 
and takes great inspiration from. So we're going to go back to 1838. Are you ready? I'm ready. We're going back. It's 1838, September 2nd. Mm -hmm. A woman, a baby girl, was born in a large grass hut. Baby. A baby at the base of the punchable crater in Honolulu, which is on Mm -hmm. the island of Oahu, for people who don't know. Totally fine. And what's very interesting, something I learned while reading a quite a dense and altogether not greatly written book that should have been because everything that happens is quite interesting. Um, And I just kept screaming out, I'm bored, which is not great. Anyway. um, Especially for you. I know. I was like, why'd you do that? How'd you make it? How'd you do that? You are, you have like a significantly better. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. For just you find the interesting things in texts that can seem dense to other people. It's like you, yeah. you read it like it's like fan fiction almost. <laughs> thanks, friend. Oh my God, yeah. thanks. It's true. Um, it, for you. people who don't know this, Maura reads at the speed of light. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the craziest funny. thing ever. She'll be like, oh, we're I'm researching this person. Give me a day or two and I'll read everything that's ever been written about them. <laughs> Really what that's simply saying is I use the ability that I am very grateful to have of reading quickly to justify procrastination. It's a superpower. It's Thank a superpower. You. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Got me through college. Woo. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so she, and it's, it's hard because the book is actually very interestingly written by um, a woman who had quite a wonderful access to effectively an adopted daughter of Lilio Kulani. Mm-hmm. And I think it, you know, it's something that I wish had been a little more like fun um, to read yeah, because yeah. yeah, you're right. Normally I'm like, ah, I found like yesterday. Oh my God. Cool. I found this great book about these four provincial Provencal women in like the 14th century. I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly you know, what I'm talking about. That's my about. jam. That's yeah. like, that's it. <laughs> but this I was like, oh, come on. So I've learned a lot of fun things about the Hawaiian culture, which is interesting because I've been very fortunate to spend quite a bit of time in Hawaii growing Mm -hmm. up, not least of which because, like I said, my mom likes it very much. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I I think I didn't know so many things about the culture because there was quite a cultural shift happening just around and during Lilio Kulani's lifetime, which has been mm-hmm. really fun to read about and learn more about. So I didn't know this. This is cool. According to Hawaiian custom, babies are often named after an event that's linked to their birth. Mm. And they're named like if a queen or someone of a higher rank than you, like in, I'm, I'm using westernized appropriated versions of terms that they would have used like queen instead of, um, right, right. I think it's like, Moi wahine or something which means like great woman i think mm-hmm. or something like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. so um you know she the the reigning queen at the time um the kuhina nui who which is regent her name's elizabeth uh kinaau i i'm guys for anyone who listens who knows how to speak hawaiian i want you to know i looked it up i'm trying really hard and i apologize if I'm not pronouncing things correctly, but I think I'm doing okay thus far. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so she had an eye infection at the time that Lily Okulani was born. <laughs> so she named her Lily U means smarting. Lolo Ku means tearful. And Walania means a burning pain. Wow. And her last name technically was Kamakaeha, which means sore eyes. 
gosh. So her name literally means she had a like a burning, tearful pain in sore eyes. Incredible. Stunning. Stunning. So she was baptized. So there's a very interesting relationship with um, the Hawaiian kingdom at this time and religion. Mm-hmm. A lot of missionaries came to, they were also called the Sandwich Islands for some time Hmm. and they came there and they were very good at colonizing um on behalf of white people which is a real shame the ali'i were the class of the like hawaiian nobility and there are um various the way that it works is much like what happened in the roman times like you could be quote adopted um like into a different part of the family and it was an honor so what actually happened with um, Lilio Kulani was that she she was born to like the high chiefess and chief of like the religion, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. And she was born like to these really extraordinary like people. Her mom was like such a badass, by the way, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, her family, her biological family, are all relations from the house of Kamehameha. And so the supreme monarch, there was a in the 18th century, there was a supreme monarch whose name is so complex that I I don't want to butcher it. I want to try it, but I don't. Okay, so this person ruled for a while, and then I believe his great great grandson was King Kamehameha the First, who's a very famous king of Hawaii. He basically united the Hawaiian kingdom together, and um, was like the great king. And so Liliuokalani was um, descended from two of the five royal counselors he had and also like pretty much like related to them. And so she was biologically, she had like six siblings, but she and her siblings were quote, they were Hanai, which means that they were kind of informally adopted. The process of Hanai was that like at birth, she was given to a different family to be raised and it was a great honor. So Mm. it's not like you lose having your biological mother but it is that you're you're being given or adopting a child to give it an honorific position to a degree it was Mm -hmm. very common and this is like an older hawaiian culture and also specifically within the royal family um and so she and i think pretty much all of her siblings were hanai to other family members Mm-hmm. And um, so at birth, she was given to Abner Paki and his wife, who was um, Laura Konia, and she was raised with their daughter, Bernice, who we will learn more about. So th- there's all of this colonization happening with Christians, and she ended up being baptized like two months after her birth um, and given the name Lydia, like Christian name. <laughs> and so, which is mm. hilarious to me. Mm. What a name to be given. Right. Why? Why Lydia? I don't know. I don't think why why is it hilarious? Because it's like they're like, what's a name that like kind of doesn't really resemble her actual name? Oh yeah, they didn't even try. No. I mean the whole act of giving someone a white name is just ridiculous. I whatever. (laughs) You're gonna love the rest of the story then. Great. Okay. So I just think that cultures are so beautiful and I hate when I know just take them away. Oh, goody. That's the theme of this entire episode. Get oh, ready. Great. I can't wait. I'm on the edge yeah. of my seat. <laughs> oh, good. 
So she starts at the age of four in 1842. She goes to the chief's children's school, which is later known as like the Royal school. Hmm. What's interesting is it's not necessarily just because of her biological parents, but also because of her relationship, like to the, her Hanai parents that she is actually formally proclaimed by King Kamehameha the third as being an eligible, um, heir to the mm. Hawaiian kingdom, like mm. the Hawaiian throne, mm-hmm. which is very interesting. And so there's a bunch of other kids and I think there's like what, 16 or 17 kids who were all kind of proclaimed that by the King. Mm. And so they all went to this one school and they were taught English. It was all run by um, American missionaries, the, the cook cooks. Mm. Um, and so she was taught English, which is something later people are like throwing at her that she's like a complete savage or whatever. And it's like, wow, she can speak English. I'm like, she literally spoke like five languages. I hate you. Um, so she can read, write. She does math way more than I could ever do. Geography, history, bookkeeping, music, (laughs) and composition. And, um, so they end up having quite a influence on her, like, moral development and what's very interesting is she so they didn't have a great life i think they the children weren't like necessarily treated that well they weren't missed well i guess they were because they were often sent to bed hungry like i don't think they fed them as much as they should have which is aren't they like the royal kids yeah 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 Yeah. the like Mm -hmm. the chosen special Mm -hmm. important okay yep stop mistreating children please history can't help it they're um please so she ends up being educated with princess victoria um kamamalu kamamalu sure and a couple other people who are around her age because she was one of the youngest people there Mm -hmm. and unfortunately in 1848 yeah there was a measles epidemic and it kind of swept through the school Mm. and one of her younger sisters died i think it was one of her biological younger sisters which is really bad and another classmate um and so but this is a time when right people are coming in and outbreaks are extremely common we're going to talk about leprosy and how she ends up dealing with that outbreak which is of course a major part of like the hawaiian geographical history um And so they're being indoctrinated with very Christian ideals as like 19th century, like very Victorian Christian ideals, which are different from Christian ideals from any other time in history. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. that's the legacy that we have been left with. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they end up kind of like, so the cooks are really formative for the beginning of her life. Obviously I think she ends up having like a really weird relationship with them. Cause it's kind of like a love hate. They were pretty tough, mm. but they were effectively like surrogate parents, additional right. surrogate parents to her. Right. Yeah. Um, and so they, the school kind of stopped running in 1850. I don't really remember why. I don't think it was like a big deal. They just, I think wanted to go do something different. So she ends up going to a different day school. That's also called the Royal school, which I think is very funny. And it's run by a different reverend, also a white guy, I believe also American. Hmm. And three years later, she finishes her final exams. She's really smart. And she informally goes to a college under Susan Tolman Mills, which is very fun because Susan Tolman Mills actually founded Mills college. Um, So she's like quite an amazing educator. Hmm. We love Susan Mills. Um, 
So in around like 1850, Lilio Kalani goes and like moves back with some of her Hanai siblings and actual siblings to um, the Hanai parents' house in Haleakala, which is gorgeous. Mm. And she, that's like her home. That's what she refers to as her home. Mm -hmm. And then around that time, her older Hanai sister, Bernice, marries a American named Charles Reed Bishop. Mm. And the Hanai parents were really pissed. They did not want them to get married. Um, But it happened. There you go. (laughs) So in around 1855, um, Paki, who is Lilio Kulani's um, Hanai father, he Mm -hmm. dies and they didn't have like the best relationship. I don't really, it's not really spoken about in the book I read, nor in some of the articles I read why it was, but I think he Mm. was just kind of a difficult dude, you know? And I think they had a lot of kids and I don't know if she was like, necessarily a super wanted Hanai kid um Mm. but it was I think it was kind of ordained before she was even born that she would be a that child would be Hanai to them so I think it's kind of a whatever kind of situation I think for Mm -hmm. her she was definitely seeking approval that's the impression I got I mean she was so well educated not that obviously women should be well educated they should be um but I, I think a lot of it had to do with um seeking validation, which I know nothing about. Um, so, you know, <laughs> and then about two years, <laughs> no one can relate. And then no about two one. years later, um, the Hanai mother, Konia dies. And after that, she officially goes and like is under the guardianship of her Hanai sister, Bernice and her husband. So the bishops, mm. which is mm-hmm. very interesting. And then around this, so in 1855, the same year that Paki passes away, Kamehameha the fourth comes into power. And then all these like young kids who were educated at the Royal school are like, we're young and hip. Like think about like the young Royals, you know, it's like that kind of situation. And they're, mm-hmm. they're like the social elite. The and then, yeah. Except like royalty. Yeah, but like, you know, TikTok is royalty, so. I'm fully I kidding. I was going to say, I know you are, but I also have, I don't know what to say. I, I don't. It was a little too deadpan. I apologize. No, I knew you were joking, but I didn't have a good response. Because <laughs> all I was, I was violently opposed to the whole thing. So. Um... <laughs> and that's why I said it. <laughs> I know. Oh my God, I love you. Okay, great. So. <laughs> so. Yes. And then the young, King... hip, cool kids. Hung yip. Y- hung yip. Young, hip, cools. Cools? Young, hip, cools, kids. Young, hip, cools, kids. Okay. Um, <laughs> so in 1856, in between the Hanai parents passing away, Emma mm-hmm. Rook um, is like catches the eye of the king. And he's like, I want to marry her. And everyone's like, we don't. We don't want that. <laughs> mm. You should marry Lilio Kulani. She is of a higher rank. And is an adopted daughter of a high, highly ranked man. And the king was like, fuck you. And so what, what's interesting is I don't have a lot of what Lilio Kalani's thoughts were personally on this. But I do know that she actually was very close with king, Queen Emma. So Emma becomes the queen. Um, and she serves as like maid of honor during their wedding. And she's always an attendant and lady in waiting in her retinue, like during state occasions. And, um, you know, she... so she is of she's a friend to queen emma and queen emma is actually quite a, a really interesting and famous figure and we'll get into why um there are a lot of women we could have done whole episodes on things i learned mm. um which is great 
I love that. I love when I'm like, oh, so many awesome ladies to talk about. Um, and that I have Always. names. It's not just yeah. like there was this woman. <laughs> right. This happened. Right, right, right. <laughs> so around like mid to late 1850s, right? She's in her teens. It's time to think about marrying her off. You know, it's that time. We're there. It's happening. And so some American kind of courted her, but no one was that into it. And she was like 15. And then like 1857, I think she's what? She was born in 32. She's 23. She was briefly engaged to William Charles Luna Lilo. And what's interesting and something I have neglected to mention up until this point is that one of the reasons Lilio Kolani is so well-known, besides the fact that she's like the last queen or king of Hawaii, mm-hmm. is that she's a very famous composer and musician and had an intense love and um, you know passion for music. And not just the music of her people, but also modern music, any music really. And um, so Luna Lila also had a huge passion. They'd known each other for a long time, obviously. Originally, he had been betrothed like to Princess Victoria, who was the new king's sister, named after Queen Victoria, of course. Um, but it, they kept disagreeing about like Victoria's marriage and everything. And so it seemed like he was a bit free. And mm-hmm. Luna Lila like proposed to uh, Lilio Kalani during a trip um and she was very excited and it was going to be great and then her brother David Kalakua Kala Kawa ooh, we'll see was um then like initially betrothed to Princess Victoria so it kind of worked out like it, they switched off kind of thing um but then it seemed like the king was not thrilled with that arrangement and instead was like, no. And then the bishops who she was, remember, under guardianship with at this point mm-hmm. um, were also not pleased with this match. I, I couldn't really understand why, but I think it ended up being a good idea. I think he ends up getting married. Um, you know, he doesn't, we'll, we'll talk about him. He doesn't end up doing a great job. Um, <laughs> and he ends up dying really young. So... Oh. Mm. everything's fine so then after that she became more like communicative with a man named john owen dominus who was a staff member for um the current like a current prince like it the royal family it's very complicated because some of them are related to each other some of them aren't some of them are related by hanai some of them are related biologically it's all a thing and so but john owen dominus is american and he is from Boston <laughs> and they had known each other. He's like six years older than her. So it's not too bad. Although he looks like he could be her grandfather, but that's just like the beard styles of the 19th century. <laughs> Picture it. It's bad. The mustache flows into the beard, which goes and hits the chest. Of course, It's it does. manicured, but I'm not happy. You okay. know? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. We'll have a picture. Love it. I don't like it. Love it. So she ends up becoming engaged to him and they were engaged from 1860 to 1862. And then um, they ended up uh, setting their wedding date for her 24th birthday. But then unfortunately 
the crown prince, the son of Kamehameha the fourth and Queen Emma died. And this was like a big drama. He was their only child. He was the gonna be the you know, prince of he was gonna be the future king. Mm-hmm. And it was a big deal. Queen Emma was extremely depressed, obviously, after that. It was pretty horrible. I think uh Lilia Kulani was with her throughout most of this process and made a lot of comments about how she's you know, she's actually lost quite a few people in her life. And by the end of her life, we'll have lost many, many people, mm. but still says that she never felt grief like that. Um, and what's interesting is the king blames himself. He thinks it's because he ran the baby under cold water <laughs> and he that's contracted funny. some kind of infection. I guess that's not entirely far-fetched, but it's not most likely what was the case. Um, Catching a cold was probably... Isn't that a big thing in the Victorian era? Yeah, colds like wouldn't necessarily in the rain could kill you. Kill, yeah, colds wouldn't necessarily kill. Um, I think it seems like he may have had meningitis or something. Uh, yeah, and so or like appendicitis. Like I, I think it just seems like he kind of had a very short but like semi slow decline. If that makes any sense, like it wasn't. Mm-hmm. I think it happened over a couple like a week or two but it was like pretty you know um and so he ended up being you know the the king blames himself and she ends up the queen is like literally always at the grave and um he the the king was like i want to like (laughs) i want to abdicate and everyone's like no um so they end up postponing their marriage Lilia Kalani and John uh because the prince had died and then eventually they end up getting married in September in Haleakala which is um the residence of the bishops again Bernice and her husband mm-hmm. and uh it was it was officiated in the Anglican rites so I believe she's Anglican at this point because she was raised to some degree in that school by missionaries but I think they were maybe a little more Episcopalian I think she would identify as Episcopalian for most of her life um but she's again I I just want to go back she was born into quite an extraordinary position as the daughter of a high chiefess and like a lot of really amazing um kind of lore and she was raised half in that Christian missionary world and also half like in a hut literally or like a Mm -hmm. you know grass floors in a forest and um, you know, just being connected with the land in a way that her people had been for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were, however, married in the Anglican rites. And sorry, if I may, I think what's interesting is, so she actually wrote memoirs, um, which were fun to read and some letters. And what's interesting too, is she describing her faith is very interesting to me she so like the missionaries kind of preached about this like vengeful god right this cruel very scary kind of god and it was a way to get people to convert it was out of fear but because she was raised in it like coinciding being raised in the hawaiian culture where the gods were some of them were benevolent but some were not you know it depended on their mood kind of thing and depended Mm -hmm. on their nature Mm -hmm. um you know she had like this kind of cool mixing of the two. Um, so like her, the God that she like, 
fervently believed in, she was quite religious, was kind of a mix of the two, which wasn't necessarily something that was like taught to her. I think it was just like the way that she meshed her worlds together. If that makes mm-hmm. any sense? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and so she ends up, so they're married. They end up moving to this place called Washington Place. It's in Honolulu. Mm-hmm. And let me just say, this ain't a happy marriage. Uh, he his no. mommy there are three in this marriage and his I mom see. is the third well there were more say of yes to the dress episode yeah but he also cheated on her a lot great love that and um mary dominus his mother didn't like that he married a hawaiian of course naturally and so for many many years you know she's married it's not that happy there's strife but because of her position you know she ends up she she's in a pretty good position at this point she's not a princess i I need to kind of emphasize that she is a high-ranking member of the elite but she's not like princess lydia lilio kuwani she's Mm -hmm. like lady she's like the highest ranking woman effectively um one of the highest ranking women and so he through his connections with her and his relationship to the king, because he was a staff member for the future king, one of the future kings, mm-hmm. um, he ends up becoming governor of Oahu and Maui, which is very interesting. Um, so throughout their marriage, they don't have any kids together. So Lilio Kalani doesn't have any biological children, but she does adopt three Hanai children. And at this point, the cultures are really starting to clash because the missionaries have been there for long enough where the local, like the people, their beliefs are getting kind of mixed up. In in the vein that Lilia Kulani kind of meshed the religions, that was happening culturally as well, but with not necessarily positive results. And so the concept of Hanai, it was very foreign to the foreigners, obviously, because they didn't understand. They're like, why would you give up your kid? You're perfectly fine. And I was like, mm-hmm. no, that's not the point. You know, it was a gift. It was seen as like the highest honor to give your kid to right. be it's raised by someone. Their own in that way, in their own traditions and their own. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she ends up adopting three Hanai children. One of them, her name is Lydia and her middle name is something I will not. Well, Ka Ono Hiponi Ponio Kalani. Aholo. That's her. And she is the daughter of a family friend um, and she is the one that ends up kind of being Lilio Kalani's last confidant and then ends up sharing the stories in the 1970s when she's like a hundred with the writer um, of one of the books I read, which is very mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. The book that should have been more interesting. <laughs> I do remember. <laughs> anyway. And then she also adopted Joseph um, Kaiponohea Aea, who was the son of like a local retainer, and then John Amico Dominus, who was her husband's son by mm-hmm. another woman, mm-hmm. which was like, damn, you're a good person. Um, <laughs> like, I couldn't have done it. But she always made sure to take care of him, John, and also, um, I think he was her favorite, which is kind of interesting, and um, his mother, which I think is just fascinating Mm -hmm. and so she works with queen emma and king kamehameha the fourth and they want to build the queen's hospital and she really wants to work with um like other the other like highly ranked women like bernice and princess victoria to establish 
this amazing society called the Ka'a Humanu Society, which is a female-led organization to help give relief to the elderly and the ill. And at this time, well, okay, so King Kamehameha IV ends up passing away. And then King Kamehameha V, who was previously known as like Prince Lot, which I think is great. That was actually his name, like Mm L-O-T, old name, great name. Um, He becomes king and he wants her, he wants her to compose the new Hawaiian national anthem around 1866. So she does. Um, It's called Himele Lahui Hawaii. And eventually it's replaced because her brother writes his own and is like, I want mine, but hers is better anyway. Um, And so that's awesome, right? Mm -hmm. That's cool. And then the Duke of Edinburgh, Prince Alfred, um, who's one of the sons of Queen Victoria, ends up visiting and she entertains him with this like insane, amazing Hawaiian luhau in Waikiki. Um, So that's awesome. And yeah. So we're around early 1870s and King Kamehameha V, interesting guy. He ends up dying in 1872 and he doesn't have any heirs like at all. Mm-hmm. And like on his deathbed gives this really weird speech about it. And then he basically goes, I give my power to the legislature to elect a monarch. And so Luna Lilo, Lilio Kalani's former betrothed, became the very first elected king of Hawaii, but he dies a year later. <laughs> of of do we know i don't remember let me check mm-hmm. probably tb who didn't die of tb yeah well he was an alcoholic oh yeah sure. it was TB. that helped yeah he was T- it's TB. so then he also after dying of tb also because he was an alcoholic mm-hmm. he didn't designate an heir to the throne either and so Queen Emma comes back. Now, she's the widow of King Kamehameha IV. And she's very popular with the people. So she kind of puts her hat in the ring and basically runs to be queen. But Lilio Kulani's brother, David Kalakua, Kalakawa, excuse me, ran against her. And the legislature chose him. And it led to a riot at the courthouse. And... Emma's supporters were arrested and it was like this whole kind of mess. And then Emma's family and the Kalakaua family kind of became a little strained, obviously. And there were kind of these two factions. Mm-hmm. Lily Kulani kind of ends up bridging that gap, which is lovely. Around 1864, they write a new constitution. And it is very interesting because there was a lot of pushback from... So at the time, America's like kind of like, there's a whole annexation movement going on from the americans in hawaii obviously like we want this land it's very fertile there's a lot of Mm. sugarcane which is tons of money and we want it we're here it's ours Mm -hmm. and they have been slowly kind of chipping away at everything because the hawaiians had a very different concept of money and of like land giving um obviously and there was more of an emphasis on like communal culture and this is something that unfortunately really plays against lilia kalani in her lifetime you know, she firmly believes in the Hawaiian concept of aloha, which is not quite what we think of it. It's it's not just hello or goodbye. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's a sacred word. It is the word for your spirit. Like, what are you, like, 
having the spirit of aloha is like very very special and if you say it and you don't feel that spirit like that magnanimous kind of love for your people and those around you it's actually like uh, not a curse but it's like you offend the gods by doing that like it's very Mm -hmm. special and so you know there's there I think there was one story that they told of like a farmer who like he was he was on what was actually his land but he was Hawaiian so he didn't really have that kind of same concept of it and a missionary was on his land and said your cows keep grazing on my land and then I was like oh here you can just use that and then of course the missionary's like oh it's mine wow like oh you gave it to me yeah yeah and that's the that's kind of the what colonialism in general looks like but very clearly in the Hawaiian example is like these acts of kindness were taken advantage of and these people were to a degree that's really appalling I mean it's really really appalling and I get why there's like a nativist movement because they're like this is garbage and we'll see more garbage don't worry (laughs) yay (laughs) so now Lilia Kulani's brother is king and so now she is a princess which is cool Mm -hmm. and he names his brother as the next heir to the throne. And um, he, so effectively when Kamehameha V dies, that's the, well, really uh, like Luna Lilo dies. That's the end of the Kamehameha dynasty. And David Kalakua, Kalakala, right? Like kind of begins his own, but I wouldn't really call it, they're calling it a dynasty. Now, Chloe. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would call it a dynasty if it lasted like three years. <laughs> Just me? I don't know. We'll see. Gotta, gotta we'll Google see. that definition. So it wasn't three years, but it wasn't very long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they end up becoming like princes and princesses. And um, one of the next heirs dies. And one of the women who was a Hanai woman wanted to be named an heir but then the ministers wanted bernice to be next in line which would then bring back the kamehameha line and kalaku obviously didn't want that Mm -hmm. and so he had court genealogists and genealogy is extremely important to the hawaiians and they often had to memorize it in these really incredible chants and songs and -hmm. it's like the story of them and their family obviously Mm -hmm. and he kind of had his genealogist like say like I don't know if Ruth is like really that great of a legitimate heir and so April 10th I think it's 1874 Lilio Kalani becomes the heir apparent to the throne of Hawaii and if I may from a woman who was born in the middle of beautiful nowhere and you know grew up obviously in a privileged position compared to other people in her community right to then become she isn't the daughter of any king or queen right and it's pretty unlikely that all of these people would have died and that all of them wouldn't have any kids or the kids would have passed away or that princess bernice did not want to be queen and actually turned it down like that all of these things Mm -hmm. happened Mm -hmm. for her to be named heir apparent to the throne i think that's just fascinating to me right And so 
she's the heir apparent and it's really exciting. And so unfortunately, John Lilia Kalani's husband, he's starting to suffer pretty badly from rheumatism. Their relationship like doesn't exist. She basically lives far away from him in a different house, but she really wants to like have a relationship with him again. I guess she really thinks that there's like a reconciliation that they can have. And it becomes like a big goal of hers, which I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. So they end up traveling to California in 1878 because she wasn't feeling that well. And they're like, you need different errands. So they go there. Um, and then she ends up coming back. And then David Kalakua, her brother, wants to go on a world tour. And so she becomes regent in his absence. And she really shines like during this time. And so they had a massive smallpox em- epidemic in 1881. And it was most likely brought to the islands by um, a lot of Chinese immigrants. I will use the word immigrant. I will use the word contracted laborers. I will also say they were very much taken advantage of and mm. uh, not treated well. So even by other Hawaiians, they viewed themselves. Um, there was like an internal racism on that front. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she decided to close all the ports. She said, no one's leaving. No one's coming in. She initiated a quarantine and they only had a very few cases in the entirety of Hawaii, of Hawaii, and because she also knew it would mostly affect Native Hawaiians who didn't have the immunity that most people did. I mean, they've been decimated by various other, you know, outbreaks. So isn't that interesting? She does a full shutdown, and because she has pretty good power, it works. And I so people actually have to like. obey it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just thinking about it. it. Sounds nice. It does sound nice. Um, she also goes to the Kalapapa leper settlement on Molokai. So leprosy was a really big, one of the big epidemics as well. Mm-hmm. And it was a pretty sad, I mean, Molokai is a very interesting island, but it's it's pretty sad because, you know, it was, people were effectively imprisoned on the island to prevent the spread of the disease. Um, and leprosy is a very interesting disease it doesn't have a very high infection rate, but obviously has pretty devastating effects when you are and do become sick and you're not treated. And they're just starting to come up with maybe a treatment or two at this time, but it's not, you know, it's not, it's the Victorian era. They still bleed people. Um, and so she visits on behalf of her brother and she goes to give a speech and is just overcome with like the situation ends up not being able to. And I think for me, something I love is like the constant thread throughout her life was service to and for her people. Mm-hmm. She was unbelievably devoted. I mean, so she had a lot of people like quote on retainer under her. Mm-hmm. She wasn't like an extremely wealthy person and slowly and slowly the Hawaiian crown lands and also her own personal holdings were like given away or taken away from her. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like she had unlimited wealth and income, although I think people thought that she did. But she still maintained it. And like, you know, she basically fed a bunch of people and housed them and took care of them in a way that would have been done in the older days. But obviously now it was all a different situation. So, you know, I think it was obviously pretty hard. Um, She ends up founding a bank for women, which is so cool. And then a money lending group for women, like by women for women. And then... She founds an educational society so they could actually, like, do things. 
and she supports tuition of native hawaiian girls at a seminary for girls and her Hanai daughter lydia holo attends there and then the kamehameha school so she's like paying for all these amazing kids to go to school mm-hmm. she's paying to keep people on retainers so that they're not unhoused and so that they are fed and kept and you know it, it it's just she is still what's i think what's hard and i don't know i'm sure i hope that you're getting a sense of this too is like she's operating under principles that are no longer necessarily in effect you know she's still although she's kind of of mixed belief she is operating as a native hawaiian by and for native hawaiians and that's actually pretty diminishing even amongst native hawaiians at the time because they have haoles those are the people like i'm a haole you're a haole we're not native hawaiians and we would go Mm -hmm. there and like Anyway, so the Howleys, it's, I don't think it's necessarily like the nicest name, but the missionaries sucked, so we can use it to describe them. <laughs> and, um, you know, so they were there and they were really taking over. And again, there was this entire, like, annexationist party going on that was gaining movement. It was all these white guys. And I'm like, get out. Mm-hmm. No one wants you here. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't want you here. You suck. And you're like buying land off of people who don't know that they don't have it anymore. Like, maybe they think it's a rent or that you bought them, you bought service, like the right to be on that land, but not like have it permanently. Like it's, again, there's no, they're complete taking advantage of the people. Right. I'm getting heated. Okay. No, no, it makes sense. It's such bullshit. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from everything iconic, ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget. Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So, cool thing though. David Kalakua ends up, they get invited to the Golden Jubilee of Queen Victoria and he's like, I don't want to go. I can't go. The situation at home politically is interesting because there's that Constitution of 1864 that was passed, but the Constitution of 1862 was basically passed by legislators to greatly limit the power of the king. Guess who those legislators were? Guess, Chloe, guess. White people. Yeah. Men. It's men. Um, They didn't like women. Oh, I, (laughs) I saved some righteous passages of some shit they say to her. I'm really excited to read them to everyone. (laughs) In any event um because if you're not heated up you will be okay so the queen kapiolani ends up going princess lily kulani her husband john a bunch of different people go 
there's another envoy. They're all aide de camps. She didn't want him to come, but her brother's like, fuck you, he's coming. And she goes, I have no choice. You're right. So they go to, they land in San Francisco. They travel to Washington, D.C. They go to Boston. They go to New York City and they end up getting on a ship for the U.K. But while they were in D.C., they met with Grover Cleveland and his wife and they established a pretty good relationship. And during this trip, I mean, Hawaiians have visited the mainland before many times. And when, when Prince Lot went, who I think became Kamehameha the fifth or fourth. Um, basically, people called him the N-word and were like, we don't like you here. And he's like, I'm not black, but also, how dare you? <laughs> um, right. So the racism was rampant, obviously. Um, and people wanted to view them as savages. Of course, they're not. They just have a different culture. Whoa. And also, she literally speaks Greek, like ancient Greek. Latin. I think she speaks a little French. She speaks Hawaiian, which is a very complex language to learn, and English, which is a dumb language to learn. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's pretty brilliant. And like her, one of her cousins spoke French and like served in the French army as a mercenary for a little bit. Like these are kind of cosmopolitan people, but they don't, they're not viewed as such because they're being compared to in a rubric that doesn't even apply to them, you know? Right. right. Um, yeah. So they meet with the president and Grover Cleveland and Lilia Kalani are like get on which is kind of cool and so then they end up continuing to London and they have an audience with Queen Victoria which like by no means was a guaranteed thing but David Kalakua had visited her a couple years before and she was like I love you guys come visit me so David Kalakua excuse me and Lilia Kalani are pretty there's the pro-British faction of missionaries and the pro-american and they're kind of always fighting so half of the legislators are like pro-british the other half are obviously pro-american and they're kind of always fighting for influence and it seems like they david and lilia kalani are pro-british but i wouldn't say they're pro i'd say they're more like inclined you know what i mean mm-hmm. um and so they go they they celebrate the jubilee service they're treated very well as royals which they are for lack of a better term and then unfortunately they learned that under the threat of death king david kalakala had been forced to sign something called the bayonet constitution which was in 1887 it was a constitution that was prepared by anti-monarchists to basically remove all authority of the monarch and give a power to american european and non-native elites and he had to sign it like he was going to die and so basically he was like completely destroyed by his own people and you know a man named um let's meet the main villain of our story lauren a l-o-r-r-i-n excuse me thurston he sucks okay mm-hmm. and then there's sanford dole who's a cousin of the dole pineapple people james dole who are like still extremely extremely powerful in hawaii i believe they own molokai hmm. and what's the one that you can't visit and uh there's an island that only people who can prove they have native hawaiian blood can visit and i think they own that one too anyway um so they suck they own sugarcane. They want to get rid of the monarchy. They don't like it. They are literally like 
trying to control the press, trying to control everything, say they don't know what they're doing, they're terrible. And it was never ratified in the legislature, but it kind of didn't matter. And what it effectively did was it gave foreign residents, like aliens, not naturalized citizens, Mm -hmm. the right to vote, except for Asian subjects. They were denied suffrage. Hmm. And Hawaiian people, males, let's be frank, it's males, were granted full voting rights only if they met the economic and literacy thresholds. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? (laughs) Sorry, am I fine? (sighs) No, it's just frustrating. For those who think history doesn't repeat itself, read a book. Any book. Who thinks that history doesn't repeat itself? Some fools, Chloe. (sighs) Some fools. Unbelievable. I know. So he ends up having to sign this horrific document and they end up canceling the rest of the tour of Europe and they go back to Hawaii. And on December of, I believe in 1887, the same year, some members of the legislative's like missionary party are like, Hey, if we kick your brother out, do you think you want to be queen? And she says personally that she said, absolutely not. That's not acceptable. And one male historian says that she gave a if-necessary response. I'll read hers. Anyway. Um, two years later, Robert Wilcox, who ends up being quite a thorn in her side, he lives in her residence. He's one of the people she supports. He effectively incites a very unsuccessful rebellion to overthrow the Bayonet Constitution. And she's like kind of caught up in it, but they blame him. He ends up being completely acquitted. Um, I think because all the missionaries are like, we need to be tried by a trial of our peers. And so they only let the white people like judge them. Mm. And they only have like, of course, that doesn't necessarily apply to the Hawaiians as well. Because mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, so then we go to November of 1890, end of November. King Kalakaua is traveling to California. He is going, quote, for his health. And they think that he might be going to D.C. to negotiate a treaty to extend what the U.S. already has like as exclusive rights to Pearl Harbor, basically the annexation of the entire kingdom. I don't know if that's true, but um, he definitely was not a very strong-willed king. He didn't spend money well or responsibly. And it seems like, you know, the McKinley Tariff Act basically destroyed what power the Hawaiian sugar industry had because they took it took off the sugar duties from other foreign countries and like it just made it really difficult um because they had a reciprocity treaty and so it was basically like they were duty free and then they changed that so everyone was duty free Hmm. um and so it seems like maybe they were going to talk about the tariff situation not quite sure But, you know, nothing much happened at home. She actually says in her memoir, quote, nothing worthy of record transpired during the closing days of 1890 and the opening weeks of 1891. King Kalakaua gets to San Francisco. He starts not doing well. He starts traveling south. And in Santa Barbara, he suffers a stroke. He's rushed back to San Francisco, falls into a coma, and he dies on January 20th of 1891. It didn't reach Hawaii until January 29th. Mm. And all of a sudden, Lily Okolani was queen. Hmm. She is the first and unfortunately the only and last female monarch of the Hawaiian kingdom. (laughs) 
No. The first couple of weeks, obviously, were very overshadowed by her brother's funeral. I know. I know. Her yeah, brother's funeral. Yeah. Right, right. And the first thing she did, however, after the period of mourning, she said, I want my brother's cabinet to resign. And the they said, cabinet? no. <laughs> yeah. I think it was pretty common for when a ruler king died that the cabinet would resign. So she asked them to, and they said mm. no. And then <laughs> they, they asked for the power to defy the monarch. Well, they had done it before. Yeah. And they were very two-sided. You like picture snake emoji times a hundred. They were bad. <laughs> they sucked. They're like, who us? We would no. never. We're yeah. not going to do that. Yeah. So she requests a ruling by the Hawaiian Supreme Court and she gets a pretty unanimous ruling that she's allowed to do it. The ministers resign. She appoints some interesting people. And um, she names her niece Kaiolani um, as her successor. Because unlike some men, she thinks ahead. Mm. Anyway, she's like 60 something, almost 60 something. Badass. This is the 19th century. Badass. We don't get to live long. Although she didn't have any kids, so it does extend her life. But in any event, she, that's true. She does. You're right. She adopted them when she was like 52. So they're like, yeah, right. <laughs> young enough. Right. She loved it though. She like loved being around the kids, which is very sweet. Um, I don't understand it personally, but I respect when people do, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, she traveled all around Hawaii. Like she, whenever made sure to visit, she visited another leper settlement. Um, and she just effectively, kind of received the grace and pomp and circumstance of being a queen her husband she gives him the title of prince consort and he ends up becoming the governor of oahu like i mentioned before and that had been like taken away during the bayonet constitution but she kind of was able to put it back unfortunately though his rheumatism was getting really bad and so seven months later in august 27th he dies and she says about this His death occurred at a time when his long experience in public life, his amiable qualities, and his universal popularity would have made him an advisor to me for whom no substitute could possibly be found. I have often said that it pleased the almighty ruler of nations to take him away from me at precisely the time when I felt that I most needed his counsel and companionship. Sad. Also, he sucked. But also, Stockholm Syndrome? I don't know, Chloe. Who am I to judge? I didn't mean Uh, to. Sometimes history can't portray feelings <laughs> that's why i'm so happy we have some of her thoughts you know exactly yeah yeah so she's able to kind of restore positions like governorships that have been taken away by that terrible constitution and effectively she moves it she moves to make moves i guess moves to mm-hmm. make moves go what sure. is that how yeah. you would say it fly okay. with it mm-hmm. <laughs> thanks friend mm-hmm. so supportive Always. um to write a new constitution because she's like, these have all sucked. Let's go back and write a good one. Like King Kamehameha mm-hmm. did like a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. And the con- the legislature's like, I don't like you. I don't like anything you have to say. You are a woman. We do not like you. And so let's read some fun things. Her guardian effectively, um, Charles Bishop, who's Bernice is, husband says and i quote although you have not asked for advice strong start 
I regard the moral influence which you can exert upon the community, and especially upon your race, as much more important than anything you can do in politics or business of the country. In politics and routine of the government, the ministers will have the responsibility, annoyances, and blame, and usually very little praise. Let them have them, and do not worry yourself about them. You will live longer and happier, and be more popular, by not trying to do too much. Good stuff, right? Great stuff. Yeah, yeah, there we go. She does not follow that advice and it like ruins their relationship, which I'm obsessed with. She's like, that's stupid. Mm-hmm. And so she ends up basically touring everywhere, like I said. Um, and two men are really mad because they weren't given political appointments, one of whom was Wilcox. And they said that she favored missionaries, sugar barons, and of course, her little pets. He wrote, one of them, the other guy, Bush. Of course, his name is fucking Bush. He wrote, Her Majesty means well, but she unfortunately is a woman and in a position never ordained from the creation for other than a man or one of masculine nature. So she was furious and said she should send Wilson to smash him the presses to pieces. Wilson's one of her, like, men. Mm -hmm. And he passed the information on to someone else. And then she gets a a rumor for having, and I quote, an ungovernable temper. Sure. I'm sure she expressed one opinion. Yep. Yep. (laughs) So her kids had been living um, with some other missionaries, her and I kids. And unfortunately, they were not doing well. Um, Bush, who was one of the guys who hated her, his wife was actually like, their governess and so Lilia Kalani ends up visiting them and finds that they are living in squalor and they are not doing well and they're being abused and so she takes them away and so they move into Washington Place because uh Mary Dominus finally died um and Lilia Kalani again and again she doesn't see how this is ramping up and yes we have the benefit of hindsight like I 100% understand that Mm-hmm. But things have not been going well for a while, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's amping up in, in like, the frequency and also the intensity of the annexation attacks and the men who are, like, fully not respecting someone who is an ordained ruler. Right. And right. so... <laughs> of course. She tried to continue giving more rights to women, um... Bush wrote, and I quote, American suffrage had failed, although the women had the right to vote, they were not using it. Would the same happen in Hawaii? Would the woman fail to stand behind their queen? And unfortunately, that happened. Hawaii could be a fairly matriarchal society. There were a lot of, women were very respected. Shocker. I know. That's true. (laughs) And so the women weren't exercising their right or weren't being given it, or weren't being allowed to exercise it at all. The Hawaiian nation was being kind of diminished um, in numbers and also in efficacy. So the Haoles were like extremely influential and most populated, I believe. And, you know, people are saying that, oh, Kalakawa wasn't even genetically supposed to be king. And it's like, no, he wasn't, but he was elected. So shut up. And, um, you know, it ends up missing, like, the point, which is usually what men do. So from May of 1892 to January of 1893, the legislature convenes for 171 days, which is exceedingly long. And it's called, it's dubbed the longest legislature. 
Yikes. Which is funny. Um, there's a lot of political infighting. No one was able to gain a majority. They were concerned. They like were debating the fact that the people wanted a new constitution. So like when she went around touring, she like was like, what would you guys like? And they're like, give us a new constitution. She's like, got it. Like, got it. You know? <laughs> so she goes around and starts to write one and the legislature's like, but we don't want it. You know? And the people oh. wanted this like lottery bill passed, which I think is very interesting. So she was like, okay, whatever you guys want, like I'll, I'll make it happen. And then everyone's like, she's immoral. Whatever. Can't escape it. And so, yeah, go ahead. Can't escape it, I said. Oh, yeah. No, never. Never. This woman. I feel so bad for her. <laughs> but also, like, people use the word to describe her as naive, which I think is extremely sexist. They wouldn't use that for a man. They, a man, I think they would use ignorant or something like that, which has such a negative connotation that I don't want to use it. But in effect, she is not. She's trusting of people who have not earned that and i think that's really hard because she is doing her best for all of her people she says that that's the most like i read that 500 times you know Mm -hmm. and that wasn't being allowed to be done for her so like she tries to dismiss the legislation it ends up being a thing and then unfortunately political division forced her like they didn't allow her to appoint like a balanced council mm-hmm. and then the 1887 constitution bayonet one gave the cabinet like the legislature the power to dismiss her own cabinet minister mm-hmm. and so that happened so they ended up like the people she was allowed to self-appoint by order of the hawaiian supreme court were completely ousted by the votes of the legislature and all of her basically all of her like enemies were appointed important positions she got to appoint a couple people who supported her and she wanted to help promulgate the new constitution it was known as the 1893 constitution um unfortunately you know she basically is like let's regain powers for the monarchy and for the people that have been entirely stripped by the um, preceding constitutions Mm-hmm. But um, unfortunately, Thorne, Lauren Thurston and W. Smith, six Hawaiian citizens, five U.S. citizens, and one German citizen were outraged by her attempt to make a new constitution happen. And they decided that they needed the, the Hawaii, Hawaii to be annexed into the United States. She began to receive pe- petitions by her people to rewrite the constitution. And it was supported by two thirds of registered voters. So she moved to implement it and the cabinet withheld their support again this wasn't her cabinet anymore and the proposed constitution it what it would have done effectively was that it would have restored power to monarchy voting rights to economically disenfranchised natives and asians and everyone else was really opposed to it and they were like stop what you're doing it's not going to help the situation she's like i will never stop serving my people in their best interests mm-hmm. political fallout men are stupid they're comparing penis sizes i imagine um and thurston's like i want this to happen now so the marshal was tipped off the marshal of the kingdom was tipped off about the coup and then wilson who's the marshal he ends up requesting warrants to arrest the 13 member council of the committee of safety and he officially put the kingdom under martial law um 
they had very strong ties to the minister of Hawaii, um, John Stevens. Mm-hmm. And um, she was like, please don't arrest people. That seems to make no sense. And then he was like, no. And then they tried to negotiate with Thurston, but that didn't happen. And then Wilson tried to collect his men for a confrontation. And he moved to protect the queen. Then Marines from the USS Boston and two companies of U.S. sailors landed and took up positions at the the legation, the consulate, and the Aryan Hall. Those are all um, U.S. territories in Hawaii at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the sailors and Marines didn't enter the palace. They didn't do anything, but obviously it was extremely intimidating. Um, and it, it made it impossible for the monarchy to be protected. January 17th of 1894, she is deposed. And the pro-annexation leader, Sanford Dole, was recognized as the de facto governor. What she did next was very interesting to me. She temporarily relinquishes her throne to the U.S. so that it doesn't go to the Dole government in the hopes that the U.S. would restore their sovereignty. And what's interesting is Dole sends out a delegate to D.C. to ask for immediate annexation. Governor Cleveland um, is like, this is a travesty how dare you attempt to overthrow a queen like we didn't ask for this i don't want this this is disgusting Mm -hmm. um but no one gave a shit stevens proclaimed that hawaii was a protective of the u.s they raised the u.s flag over the palace martial law was thoroughly enforced and um you know yeah so Mm -hmm. There was a man who was commissioned to oversee the investigation of, like, the coup, and he wrote something called the Blount Report, which concluded that her overthrow was illegal, that Stevens and American military troops had acted inappropriately in support of those who carried out the overthrow. Mm -hmm. And so Grover Cleveland, the president, sent his minister to propose a return of the throne to Lily Kulani if she granted amnesty to everyone responsible. But her response was that Hawaiian law called for property confiscation and death penalty for treason, and that her cabinet ministers were the ones who could only put aside the law in favor of amnesty. The Cleveland administration was like, can you not kill them? And she went, fine, I won't kill them. And then they still were like, I don't know. But effectively, he sends a note and says, the provisional government has not assumed a Republican or other constitutional form, but has remained a mere executive council or oligarchy without the consent of the people. And so what do they do when they hear that? They declare themselves a republic. It doesn't change the fact that they're oligarchical in their rule, but they just change the name. Interesting, mm-hmm. no? Mm-hmm. So, you know, she's basically not under house arrest. She will be, don't worry. She's not really under house arrest at this time, um, but it's not looking good. And Robert Wilcox comes back. And even though he had betrayed her before, he's like, I'm back and I want you to be a part of this rebellion against the Republic. And she said, no. What she didn't know was that they had buried arms in her front yard to use because of its proximity to the palace, which is where the Republic was now like ruling effectively. And uh, all these people were camping out. And she's like, I didn't, I didn't want this. And they're like, that's fine. That's fine. We're not going to do it. And we're forced to do that. It's terrible. And unfortunately, she hears this terrifying knock on her door. And it's the, you know, two policemen effectively. And so you have to come with us. And so she is walked up the steps of her former palace and is officially arrested and imprisoned in a bedroom 
her house was ransacked. The palace had been ransacked. I mean, it was just a fucking mess. Mm. And I think about a year and a bit later, she was basically forced to abdicate, which she had never really done before. She gave her position provisionally to the president of the United States, but she never abdicated. Mm -hmm. That's clearly like what they were looking for. You know, they Mm -hmm. wanted that like moment of a woman saying, I'm wrong, you're right, which is great. (laughs) So they write this pretty horrific um, thing. They call her Mrs. Dominus. They no longer refer to her by any honorific, which is such an insult. And she's convicted on the basis that one of the men who was a witness said um, that he had that the queen had asked him about any news that happened the night before. Mm-hmm. And he said, Oh, it didn't go well. And she just said, yes. And they're like, you're guilty. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> she basically said that was garbage and how dare you. And then in her cross examination, she in Hawaiian talked to her people and gave an explanation. I would like to read some of that. If that's okay. It's very powerful. Mm-hmm. In the year 1893, on the 15th day of January, at the request of a large majority of the Hawaiian people, and by and with the consent of my cabinet, I propose to make certain changes in the constitution of the Hawaiian kingdom, for the advantage and benefit of the kingdom and subjects and residents thereof. These proposed changes did not deprive foreigners of any rights or privileges enjoyed by them under the constitution of 1887, promulgated by King Kalakaua and his cabinet without the consent of the people or ratified by their votes. My ministers at the last minute changed their views and requested me to defer all action in connection with the constitution. And I yielded to the advice as bound to do by the existing constitution and laws. A foreign minority of the foreign population made my action the pretext for overthrowing the monarchy and aided by the United States Naval Forces and representative established a new government. I owed no allegiance to the provisional government so established, nor any power or to anyone save the will of my people and the welfare of my people. The wishes of my people were not consulted as to this change of government, and only those who were in practical rebellion against the constitutional government were allowed to vote upon the question whether the monarchy should exist or not. To prevent the shedding of the blood of my people, natives and foreigners alike, I opposed armed interference and quickly yielded to the armed forces brought against my throne and submitted to the arbitrament of the government of the United States the decision of my rights and those of the Hawaiian people. Since then, as as is well known to all, I have pursued the path of peace and diplomatic discussion and not that of internal strife. Pretty powerful. It goes on for a little bit. Hmm. And she says that I intended to change my cabinet and to appoint certain officers of the kingdom in any event of my restoration, I will admit. Before the 24th of January, 1895, the day upon which I formally abdicated and called upon my people to recognize the Republic of Hawaii as the only lawful government of these islands, I claimed that I had the right to select a cabinet in anticipation of a possibility of my restoration to the throne, which... I will just say Grover Cleveland had been like teasing that they were going to like send people to help her and then didn't. Mm-hmm. She says, I was not intimidated into abdicating, but followed my own counsel. I deemed that such an act would restore peace and goodwill among my people. I acted of my own free will and wish the world to know that I have asked no immunity or favor for myself, nor plead my abdication as a petition for mercy. My actions were dictated by the sole aim of doing good to my beloved country and of alleviating the positions and pains of those who unhappily and unwisely resorted to arms. She says, you are commencing a new era in our history. May the divine providence grant you the wisdom to lead the nation into the paths of forbearance, forgiveness, and peace. 
and to create and consolidate a united people ever anxious to advance in the way of civilization outlined by the American fathers of liberty and religion. In concluding my statement, I thank you for your courtesy you've shown me, not as your former queen, but as a humble citizen of this land and as a woman. I assure you who believe you are faithfully, I assure you who believe you are faithfully fulfilling a public duty, that I shall never harbor any resentment or cherish any ill feelings toward you, whatever may be your decision. Mm, beautifully said. Like, I would not have that grace. No, no, me neither. <laughs> like, I, I just wouldn't. It just shows her character. Unfortunately, the uh, garbage prosecutors were like, it was a war, and blah. And her lawyer ends up effectively saying in his closing marks, by conviction, you heap upon her an indelible shame, a shame because she has been tried after having relinquished all rights which she possessed, possessed before and relinquished them for what? The tranquilization of the country for the benefit of the people here? for leniency for those imprisoned on her behalf. Effectively, they were pretty horrific um, against her. The attorney general speaks of her and doing a pretty awful thing. Um, Let me quote my new favorite one. His closing remarks were, well, I'm getting mad. The accused has reminded us, and it is well to put into the Constitution, that she is a woman, and much that it is her statement may well be passed by, leaving to your consideration whether this is any statement to make to the charge on which she is on trial. I submit to the Commission that by all the rules of evidence, she is found guilty of the charges preferred against her, and that she should be so found. And unfortunately, she was. She was given a maximum sentence of treason. $5,000 fine, which at the time was a ton of money that she didn't have because everyone was in debt because she kept giving away all of her money because she's nice. And she was to be imprisoned for five years with hard labor. She is like in her 60s. Yeah. I feel like there are moments lately in our lives, Chloe, and I'm sure people who listen have had similar things where it seems like, how is this happening? Right? Like it doesn't seem yeah. like it's happening. Absolutely. I know it's no comparison to what she experienced, but I can only imagine that it felt similar or at least was inspired by a similar feeling of betrayal mm-hmm. or defeat. Mm-hmm. And I just, I get this overwhelming sense of sadness. And just for the fact that there was nothing wrong with what she was doing, nothing. And would they have tried this against a guy? I mean, they kind of were slowly exerting their influence in ways that wasn't great over all the men, but would they have done that? Would they have done what they're doing to her as a man? No, I, I don't believe so. I agree. Because the arguments don't hold up. You know, they're not actually mm-hmm. based on anything other than her gender. Right. She doesn't fucking mean anything. <laughs> so the now new Governor Dole's like, I don't want her to be hard labor so she'll be imprisoned in my palace for five years mm-hmm. and uh everyone's continuing to attack her she's like not able to read things she loves reading um she's not supposed to do anything people just say to her they like try and give her flowers from her own garden they try to send messages to her often they say things like we love you Hanai," which is like family love it's beautiful Mm -hmm. and she began to write 
her story. And that's what I've been able to read. And it's what a perspective to have on your life at this time, you know? Truly. What's interesting is she ends up writing what is perhaps one of her most famous compositions. It's called Aloha Oi. Have you ever heard of it? No. Have you seen Lilo and Stitch? Um, a really long time ago. <laughs> well, hey, you need to rewatch it because it's an excellent film. But this song was written and inspired many years before that she ends up reworking it and writing it and effectively writes it as a love song to her country. Um, but it was written as a love song between two people who couldn't be together. And it's deeply moving and very beautiful. And effectively in Lilo and Stitch, when the sisters think that they're going to be separated, the older sister sings this to her. And I cannot hold it together. I cannot watch that part of the movie. It's devastating. So she ends up rewriting some of the lyrics and she says, um, farewell to you, farewell to you, oh fragrance in the blue depths, when fond embrace and I leave to meet again. So the Republic were like, oh good, she she accepts that she's no longer queen. But that's not what she's saying. She's effectively saying that things are different now. And she uses a lot of old Hawaiian symbolism, which a lot of people wouldn't necessarily like understand, obviously. And it became her most famous song to the point where like people ended up recording it and bringing it to the States. And like, most people don't know that it was written by her. Like it's mm. very famous. Mm. And um, so her ladies are mistreated by the guards who are of course there. She asks to go outside when she's very sick to go for a ride. And they were like, yeah, you can do it underground. And she said, fine, I'll just walk outside. She wrote another beautiful, beautiful song um to her niece um Kalani who of course is her heir some gross people decided that they wanted to try and read in some like sensual lewdness in the song but if you read it it's really just a nice song about like I wish you well I love you my niece kind of thing mm -hmm. cholera broke out a lot of people died I don't think that would have right. happened if she was queen she still wanted to help people she's imprisoned right and she's like I need to help people I needed to. And apparently she never was openly bitter. Um, I think what's hard is that women were always accepted, expected to like accept our lot in life and just like with grace, you know, and that it didn't matter how poorly we were treated. We always showed up being lovely and kind and whatever. And I, I hate that because I think it's just garbage. Um, I mean, here's what she says, though. I think this is to me like, a bit of a argument in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. um, this is something she wrote in her story. She says, for myself, I would have chosen death rather to have signed it, it being the document of abdication. But it was represented to me that by my signing this paper, all of the persons who had been arrested, all my people now in trouble of reason by their love and loyalty toward me would be immediately released. Think of my position, sick, a lone woman in prison, scarcely knowing who was my friend or who listened to my words only to betray me, without legal advice or friendly counsel and the stream of blood ready to flow unless it was stayed by my pen. So I feel like she was like a little bitter, which I respect. Uh, it makes Maybe sense. Not bitter, but like, she's allowed she to be. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's why I was like, they're like, she never was bitter. And she always was appreciative of what she was given. I'm like, yeah, if you were kind of being starved and in a sad room, wouldn't you be? <laughs> yes. Like, I don't know. 
1896, she was officially paroled, but couldn't leave Oahu. And she was able to go to Waikiki, however, and she was very happy to go be with her people and eat food again. And Mm -hmm. then on October 6th of 1896, she was officially freed of all restrictions of her arrest and her civil rights were restored. How nice. A member of the Republic then proceeded to write, no sooner had we released her than that terrible woman went to the United States to cause more trouble. Stop it. Mr. Dole gave her permission to leave, Chloe. So of course she fucking left. She goes, she's no longer a threat to these people. She doesn't think she'll necessarily be, you know, like, executed at this point or assassinated. And I think what's very interesting is like she so she goes to the u.s and goes to now it's president mckinley and she basically goes like hey this is all garbage you need to do something like Mm -hmm. you know we didn't give up this kingdom it was taken over we are a sovereign nation and you guys like fucked up and a lot of they submitted um you know so mckinley in 1897 signs the treaty for the annexation of the hawaiian islands but the senate like didn't pass it because a lot of native hawaiian delegates like submitted petitions like Mm -hmm. over twenty one thousand signatures opposing the treaty um seventeen thousand more signatures were collected that also said that they wanted the queen to be restored so they had to leave those out um hawaii was annexed anyway um shortly after the opera get the spanish american war because they needed it because you know that makes sense Mm -hmm. and officially on August 12th, 1898, there was a ceremony. The flag of the Republic of Hawaii was lowered and the flag of the United States was raised in its place. Um, most Hawaiians did not show up to that event. Mm-hmm. There was, throughout her lifetime, like I said, a lot of people were taking away a lot of her freedom and land and sources for revenue. Um, she tried for over a decade to like to receive recompense for their seized land Mm -hmm. the government tried to give her two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for hawaii and she's like she literally did calculations at the time and she said it would be at least worth over 20 million (laughs) dollars at the time it doesn't work she was eventually given a pension by the territory of hawaii of twelve hundred and fifty dollars a month but no one ever like helped her and she was kind of without a lot of recourses. Um, unfortunately, uh, her niece had passed away while living in England. That was kind of like the end of the line, effectively. Um, in April of 1917, so she lives very long. She lives through to the beginning of and nearly end of World War One, mm-hmm. And officially, when five Hawaiian sailors passed away in the sinking of a U.S. ship by German U-boats, she ends up raising the flag at the at Washington Place in honor of them, and some people say um, that oh, it was her symbolic support of the U.S. But I don't necessarily believe that's true. I believe it was more a symbol that like her people had died fighting under a different flag, and she would respect them for it, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. give them that respect, I guess. Um, and so she ends up you know, starting to feel quite ill and everyone's starting to report like ding dong, the witch is dead, which is really messed up, but isn't like 
true, but she is starting to become quite ill. And on the morning of November 11th, which will eventually be Armistice Day, which is very interesting, she passes away at the age of 79 at Washington Place. Um, her body lay in state in um, a church for viewing. She had a state funeral. And what's very interesting is Aloha Oi ended up being played a lot at funerals. And she's like, it wasn't meant for funerals, but of course it was played at hers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and thus passed away quite an extraordinary woman. I mean, if you think about like just what she lived through, mm-hmm. you know, growing up in like early 19th century to early 20th century, kind of having this complete change of circumstance and you know, being born into a position where she wasn't bound for any greatness, but mm-hmm. eventually mm-hmm. was. I think it's pretty extraordinary. Um, I I don't know. I just, I have a hard time finding <laughs> like a good side because, you know, she passes away and there's no restoration. Mm-hmm. Um, but she says, effectively people say like Lydia who is the woman who gave this um, author quite a little a lot of um, access says the Hawaiian rule at the at, when she passes away the Hawaiian rule is at an end the crown is at the feet of the holly and but there's a lovely quote that I believe is um, Lily Kulani's she says there will always be a Hawaii as long as there is aloha and forgiveness and I think that's very beautiful Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry that they went through so much shit and that they still do. Yeah. There we go. Yay. Do you know what this book is called? <laughs> Tell me. The Betrayal of Lily Okulani. <laughs> I see why you didn't read that earlier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, and there are a lot of pictures of her and I love it because they show like how many different time periods she like lived through, like clothing wise. Yeah. And like all the different crazy. weird hairstyles and everything and the yeah. fact that like People wanted to view them as being these, like, again, these, like, savage people, and they're, like, fully Victorianized. It's just kind of interesting to me. There's a sadness in that as well. I know. I know. And it's just, like, yeah, it's interesting Mm -hmm. just to see it. I think, like, I'm grateful that we have more information on her and that we're able to appreciate like the work she did and there's a lot of there are a lot of things now that are like named after her Mm -hmm. and um you know I think it's really lovely and she obviously still has like such a beautiful reputation and legacy as a um quite a brilliant songwriter so that's kind of fun I recommend everyone go listen she is we'll see if we can post a lovely songwriter yeah Aloha Oi is oh god it makes me cry everything's Mm -hmm. fine and it's because of where they put it in Lilo and Stitch. Oh, gets me, man. I will say, if y'all want to go to Hawaii, do it. But don't be rude. Go visit. Buy things from local people. Give them money. They need it. I'll give them all of it if you can. And then leave picking up all of your trash. That's all. Leave no trace <laughs> camping. Because I think we go there and we're like, oh, it's like... All. Sorry. I said be respectful or don't go at all. I think the movement is saying don't go at all because most people just can't be respectful. Exactly. Exactly. And it's such an it's just it's so beautiful and 
such an extraordinary landscape and you go there and you know it's a special place you know mm-hmm. like it mm-hmm. you just do mm-hmm. and then you hear that mark zuckerberg ended up like uh you know buying out or trying to buy out most of Kauai and the people are not able to afford living there anymore on their own land and then he blocks their access to fishing rights in the beach because he says he owns it they've had fishing rights there for thousands of years who are you to own a fucking beach that's disgusting Hate him. yeah it never ends chloe <laughs> well on that cheery note <laughs> i hope this gives people fuel to add to their fire sure. i hope people understand that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere that is true it will always Mm -hmm. be true it has always been true Mm -hmm. i hope we understand that it doesn't take much for a political situation to become unstable and that what we can do and what we should do is just have respect for each other and treat each other kindly and i don't mean respect dumb beliefs like dumb ones respect genuinely held ones but not dumb ones you know (laughs) Because people are like, oh, you don't respect my beliefs. I'm like, no, they're stupid. Like, they're patently false. I don't respect that. Am I wrong? I don't know. I I don't think you're wrong. At the same time, though, a lot of people believe other things. Yeah, it doesn't mean I have to respect it. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) If you're listening and you have different beliefs... Let's chat. Thank you for challenging yourself. <laughs> yeah, let's chat. We should about all them. do so. We should all do so. <laughs> I think that's what's broken down. We don't have enough different dialogues. I'm always happy to engage because I want to know what leads to bigoted thinking. Or I will what say leads... though, yeah, mm-hmm. if the conversation doesn't end <laughs> in their beliefs changing and ours staying the same, <laughs> then it's I don't want to have the conversation. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, that me too. <laughs> Right? Like, we all say, yeah. let's all have conversations of people who disagree, but the reality of it is, we want Just want to you to come to our side by the end of it. <laughs> Very good point, as always. I know. Uh, I know. It's just such a tiptoey subject. I know, but you know what? I'm really tired of tiptoeing. Yeah, I get that. Because I, I feel that. like we, as women specifically, like I said with Lilia Kulani too, like, oh, she was always graceful about it. And I was like, but what if she hadn't been? That's fine. You know, like, why is that a, a, tr- a tribute to her? Like, oh, she's magnanimous that they overthrew her completely illegally and it was all garbage and bullshit. Like, I, I, th- I think, I think the, the thing there is she's above it, you know? She she doesn't stick I, to their level. Yeah. She she maintains her dignity, and she knows that's true. She knows probably what that she was betrayed and disrespected. Yeah. But and there was really no opportunity. I think she says. She and I don't. Know, yeah, I don't know. I, no I don't choice. know what what she could have improved. I mean, she had the yeah. love of a lot of people because of yeah. the way that she was. You know. Mm-hmm. But, Absolutely. You know, sometimes again, you just want to scream. A great <laughs> yeah, but sometimes you just want to scream. You just want to scream, you know. Sometimes you just want to want to go to one of those those rooms where that you like (laughs) a sledgehammer to objects. Oh my gosh! Do you know what my school did during finals? That 
we had they brought a old car onto campus like a beat up car that didn't work anymore and like a couple mm-hmm. other objects and gave us bats and said go ahead that and all I kept thinking was fascinating if you know that we feel so ill during finals maybe reconsider how you do finals no no we're not gonna change the anxiety and the stress and the overworking we'll just give you a car to smash yeah <laughs> how insane is that I kind of love it. I gotta say, I mean, it was really funny. It was like on it's the evil, and I love too. it. <laughs> and I think all the freshmen were like really shocked because they were like, "What is this?" And we're like, "You will understand one day." Like it's we bad. had a we had primal scream where I think it was midnight, really? midnight the night before the first day of finals. Everybody would open their windows and lean out their windows and literally like scream, scream bloody murder. Yeah, which and again, by the way going to school in new york terrifying sorry to all the people in new york who were living there and just like (laughs) heard the screams of thousands finals again for those kids right i'm assuming if you live in that area you you get used to it you knew what you were getting yourself into i love a good scream though i really do anyways your homework everybody go scream go Go do something about the world Go listen, go continue to try and educate yourself, go and try and learn more about things that are foreign to you. Listen to some music. Volunteer if you're able to. Mm -hmm. Donate if you are able to. But the best thing we can all do, I believe at the moment, is get as much information as we can, learn, and prepare to fight them with words. Heck yeah. Because it's way more fun to watch them, like, shrink. Is that mean? No. Yeah. No, they're usually attacking you. And I'm like, you know nothing. There you Here's go. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Hope it was Let me go put on my cathartic? nasty woman shirt. I'll feel better. <laughs> sure. Hope this was cathartic, educational, informative, enjoyable. Yes. And, yes. and enjoy we... the pictures. We're going to post so many fun ones. There are a lot of good ones. Oh, heck yeah. I love it. Heck yeah. Historically Badass Broads on Instagram. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. See you next month. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.